The Tuffel Commute, Season 5, Episode 3, D is for Dictionary. Lindsay, how you doing? Fine. How are you? I'm H A P P Y. Oh, very clever. This episode, by the way, well, before we even introduce the episode, you're making a nice segue there. Let me just uh, welcome our, any new listeners. Uh, this is the Tuffle Commute. It's a podcast for language teachers that's not about language teaching, but the topic invariably comes up. Uh, I'm one of your hosts. I, 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 you're still putting invariably in there. <laughs> I know. It always comes up. Um, I'm your host, Lindsay Clanfield, and I'm joined with... Hi, I'm the other host. I'm Sean Wilden, and I'm the one that tries to tell Clint tell Lindsay that we do talk about teaching these days yes that's true and this episode is another teachery episode uh and it's all about dictionaries which is why sean was uh h-a-p-p-y to me um at the opening yeah but possibly yes or maybe i just wanted to speak in uh, in in letters rather than words <laughs> so dictionaries uh Lindsay. um it's an episode i think we, when we were looking at episode titles where we both said dictionaries so i i presume you share a kind of a, a a secret passion for dictionaries i don't know if i do i'm i'm sitting right in front of my computer recording this and i look behind me and i have got one two three four five six seven eight Eight dictionaries, all English dictionaries. I've got um, a collocations dictionary, and I've got two Spanish dictionaries and a bilingual dictionary. So I think 10 dictionaries behind me. But that said, I don't know if I've got a thing for dictionaries. It's just part of my work. I don't, I'm don't. i not really that keen on them. Do you like dictionaries? Um, you know, I think um, I don't have that many behind me. I'm just looking behind me now. No, I don't have 10 behind me. I think it's something that I used to like a lot. I mean, going back to my early days of teaching, lots of dictionary stuff. Uh, and I really enjoyed uh, doing workshops and training on dictionaries. But now I uh, just don't uh, seem to use them. Maybe uh, maybe that's because I've moved electronically, but we'll discuss that later on. Do, so do you still use, you've got 10 dictionaries behind you. Do you still use 10? I do. Not all of them. Maybe it's worth kind of outlining. I mean, obviously we're being listened to by language teachers, but in case you've stumbled on this podcast and you're not a language teacher, um, you may think that there's only one kind of dictionary, like, you know, your basic Oxford dictionary. But uh, as many language teachers will know, um, and even more if you're in materials creation or t test writing or things like that, there's quite a few different kinds of dictionaries. Do you want to tell us, Sean, what kinds of dictionaries? And I'll tell you if I have any. Oh, well, I'm, well, based on your 10 behind you, you said one's English. So that must be your typical kind of monolingual dictionary. Yeah, yeah. I've got a monolingual dictionary, but I've got more than one okay. because I have... 
I have like this, I have a regular monolingual dictionary and then I have an advanced learners monolingual dictionary from two different publishers. So I have a Longman one and a Cambridge one. Then I have an elementary learners monolingual dictionary. I have the Macmillan elementary learners and the Oxford elementary learners monolingual dictionaries. Okay. So what, I'm glad, I'm glad you're getting all the publishers in there. <laughs> That's a few. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Fishing for sponsors. Yeah. So, yeah, so and of course, uh, monolingual dictionary, so English, 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 no, no other, no other language in, involved in it. Uh, so definition in English. I imagine there's a bilingual stroke multilingual dictionary there. So you've probably got Spanish, English. I've got a bilingual Spanish, English, English, Spanish dictionary and a somewhere in the house, a French, English, English, French dictionary. Or as we, we used to call them in my old school, the little white nightmare, because they were the one that went from Czech to English with this little, uh, little book. And it was just so inaccurate that, you know, and your students put more faith in it than they put in your definition. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Yes. The little um, white nightmare. So uh, you've already mentioned a third type of dictionary. You said collocations. So that's just. Um, yeah, I've got there are specialist dictionaries as well. So I've got a collocation dictionary. I have a slang dictionary. I have another um, idiom dictionary. Uh, a bilingual Spanish-English slang dictionary, and I have a dictionary, two dictionaries of phrasal verbs. Um, and of course, I guess if, it, I mean, the, I would imagine that your uh, elementary dictionary is probably frequency-based rather than, say, uh, uh, let's say we, you refer to the Oxford Dictionary, the, the, one, the big one that people know, which isn't frequency-based. So I imagine your elementary one is frequency-based. Yes. Lots of those learner dictionaries are invariably frequency-based or corpus-based. Um, in fact, all of them are. I, and certainly, and certainly online these days, okay, a lot of what you look at is corpus-based, isn't it? Or you could look at it, is, is, is corpus-based uh, with it. Um, I mean, and then you could say, well, there's paper dictionaries, app dictionaries, online dictionaries. So, I mean, the, when we say dictionary, there's quite a big area these days, isn't it? But what is in, what's interesting is you mentioned there the paper, online, and app dictionaries. Um, and uh, before they became online and app-based, uh, they were always in uh, – they started being on disks in the back of dictionaries. Ah, yes, Remember when – dictionaries had the disc in the back of them yes. um i think i have a lot of dictionaries because there was a point where all the publishers were competing for the learner dictionary market and so i remember one conference in particular three publishers at ayatafel were giving out the free dictionaries it's about yeah i was just thinking when i was thinking about yeah it must be like 10 15 years ago that's when i really got got into dictionaries i, I remember lugging back from the UK <laughs> to Spain around like 15 kilos of dictionary in my in my luggage. I guess I love advanced, were, advanced learners are never that light in anyway. I mean no. the elementary one's got you by by dint of the fact it's elementary you've got very few words in it compared to compared to the And uh, I suffered I suffered so much through carrying those those dictionaries back that I think that's why I haven't gotten rid of them because you know I just the but there is something nice about them. I look at them and I do think, and I, and I, I think when, especially kind of as a teacher trainer, I found them very interesting to look at. I mean, I mean, obviously I use them a lot in classroom. I think it's one of my favorite classroom tasks as we'll probably get to later on, but I really did. I, I did like that, an odd question. Cause I, when I was choosing dictionaries for the, say the, the staff room, a previous episode, there you go. Um, did, did you have a word? Did you use a particular set of words to check out the dictionary? I mean, for, oh gosh! For me, I, no. You know what? You know, I didn't. I could, Did you? Yeah, I always use, and it's different now because of the cartoon. But back then, I used to use the word quagmire, and it could tell you if it was a learner dictionary versus a 
uh, versus kind of a frequency-based one. So whether you, whether you got, say, the definition of like political quagmire, which is probably the, the main use, against it's a swamp. And uh, if you looked in frequency, back then, if you looked in frequency versus non-frequency-based dictionaries, the definitions would alter. So the ones with frequency would probably political quagmire first. It was one of those things that I always, and every time I went to a bookshop, I'd find a dictionary and look and see which was the first definition of quagmire in it. But now, of course, quagmire is just seen as a character in um, in a cartoon, I can't, in one of those adult, uh, I can't remember, it was a family guy. That's it. He's a character, isn't he? Oh, okay. I didn't even know that. So, I would have thought automatically of the political Yeah, quagmire so when you say quagmire or, now, people go, oh, the character. Military is, quagmire yeah, exactly. or something but, like that. But of course, by definition, it's a swamp. It's a, by original definition, it's a, it's a swamp. So a non a non frequency dictionary will give that as its first definition. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, I used to. So, one of the things that I. Um, so you ask if I liked dictionaries, and I started getting to this point, then we kind of got sidetracked. But I, I do, when I'm working, I do find it actually quicker sometimes to just grab the dictionary if it's to hand and look up a word, then open the dictionary website or app, type in the word, and find the definition. Do you really? This, oh, you know, I, yeah. I just wouldn't do that. I'd like, oh, I don't know the word. And like if I'm trying to, and, and, you know, as a materials writer, when you're trying to redefine a word or, or find a word in content, I just open up an online dictionary, um, which I guess leads me to the question. It's like, are, do you need those 10 dictionaries behind you in, in, in the age of Google? Yeah, well, my wife would say no, because she wants me to get rid of them. But I still like them for that kind of like flicking through. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I'm not sure. Actually, this is one of these questions is something that I had a chance to ask a person who writes a dictionary about. Do you know what they call a person who writes the dictionary? Uh, it probably begins with L. I'll, I'll put some little dashes on the board and get a, a little hangman thing. So L-E. Yes, yes, keep going. L-E-X. That's I, should right. have start, I should have started this because I'm not sure if I can mentally spell out lexicographer. I know, and I'll spare the listeners <laughs> yeah. you struggling through the word lexicographer. <laughs> a lexicographer is the name of a person who writes a dictionary, and Sean and I actually both know well, more than one lexicographer, um, but I had a chance to talk to one. Her name is Julie Moore. She's the author of Jules Words, uh, a teacher, materials writer, and lexicographer. And she was there to answer all the niggling questions I had about dictionaries and dictionary use. So I'm joined uh, today by a guest her name is Julie Moore, and she's the owner of Jules Words website. Uh, she's an ELT writer and lexicographer. And on our episode on dictionaries, we thought it would be great to ask her a few questions. Welcome, Julie. Hi, Lindsay. Nice to be with you. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for joining us. We had uh, got together, Sean and I, and had a whole bunch of questions about what you do, about this whole lexicographer thing. So first of all, I, we both understand that a lexicographer is someone who kind of does stuff with dictionaries. But what exactly do you do? Do you like just write definitions for words or what, what kind of work does a lexicographer do? Okay, so um, it's kind of mixed. But if we're starting on a new dictionary, um, then we actually start from scratch and we research the words. So we use a corpus and we we research the, the meanings of words. And then we use that information to write definitions, to give grammar information, write examples, everything that you would see in a learner's dictionary. Okay. And, and, and how, 
like so you start with corpus stuff is this being is this a more recent thing in your work or have you always well i mean tell us how you became a lexicographer first uh and then and then we'll get into some other questions so what was your route Okay, my route, um, I started off as a general EFL teacher, um, but I realised that teaching really wasn't quite my thing. The thing that I really enjoyed was explaining words to students. So I, I did um, a master's um, and I specialised in corpus linguistics and lexicography. Um, and so that gave me the, the basis and then I got a job with one of the big dictionary publishers and they trained me to write dictionaries and I've taken it from there. And so this, this, uh, so how do you like, so going about writing a dictionary definition with so many dictionaries already having been written and corpus information, do you like, do you look at what other dictionaries have done and, 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 and how is it, how is it impossible not to copy? Yeah, well, if you're starting on a, a new dictionary, um, you wouldn't look at other dictionaries first. So you would look at the data first. So you would you would look up a word in the corpus. You would look at lots and lots of examples and jot down notes. Then you do use something that we call a defining vocabulary. So we have on learners dictionaries, we have a vocabulary of somewhere between 2000 and 3000 words. And those are the only words we're allowed to use in our definitions. So the idea is that the definitions aren't more difficult than the words you're defining. So you'd come up with a definition for the word using your defining vocabulary and using all the style guide that's been set down for that dictionary. All right. And then when you'd got, you thought you were happy with your definition, then you might look at other dictionaries just to see is there something that you've really obvious that you've missed or that you're getting wrong um but you don't look at them first right right and so what's an example of for example a really hard word to define what's an example of a word that most lexicographers admit is just a beast of a word to define well the worst the worst words to define are the ones that have if you like the least meaning um, so the function words. Oh, like uh, 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 of, or, or. Of, the, oh, but. Okay. And then all the de-lexical verbs. So get, put, have, all those verbs are the really worst because they're used in lots and lots of different ways, but they're very difficult to pin down. So the big, the biggest entry in the dictionary is for the word set, S-E-T. Really? pages okay. long. Yeah, you go look it up and there's pages of it. Of set. Um, and that is, is because there are so many meanings and then you've got all the phrasal verbs and it, it goes on and on and on. And those are the tough ones. They, they're challenging, they're interesting, but they're tough. Wow, okay. Is there a word or a definition that you, that you put into a dictionary once that you're particularly proud of that, that, you, that you, know, you think, hey, I did that and that was a great definition? Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, generally, actually, it's the examples that are kind of more fun. Um, when you're looking for example sentences to illustrate, getting a really good example sentence is, is a real art. Um, and sometimes when you find a good one, that's what you feel really pleased about. I guess it is an art because you want to have something that kind of exemplifies perfectly that meaning, but also is sort of fun and interesting and and memorable, right? Because it's it's kind of to make all of those things happen is quite hard, I suppose. 
Yeah, I mean, you're trying to do lots of things in an example. So we'll try and um, you're trying to illustrate the most typical usage of the word. So with the collocations and the structures and the patterns, but then you want it to be simple and clear and memorable and not to offend anybody and to be universal. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a challenge. Hey, interesting question there. You mentioned about not to offend anybody. One of the questions Sean and I had was, does the work of lexicographers ever get political? For example, words that you can include or that you exclude. I've also read, um, or not read, I heard uh, anecdotal evidence of um, how definitions of words might be changed according to versions of dictionaries. Um, this was this was I, I I heard this relating to dictionaries, English language dictionaries that were sold into the Soviet Union in the 1970s. I don't know if it's true or just a lexicographer urban myth, but but are there kind of political aspects to the work ever? Um, I wouldn't say so much really political. Um, I mean, certainly you wouldn't have. I don't not. I've never heard of having different definitions. As I say, you have to be a little bit careful with examples. Um, because you, you, you know, for example, if you've got a, a word that is um, has negative connotations, you don't want to put it in with a specific nationality. So, you know, if you had the word like invade, um, you wouldn't talk about some recent conflict because that could upset people. Um, you'd either go something from ancient history, so the Romans invaded Britain or something like that, or you just go neutral and you say the enemy troops invaded. I see. I, I guess this is also true for gender stuff. So like, you know, uh, certain, do, do you have that? I know that as a, as a materials writer, um, we'd always be looking out for, for example, then doing job words, all the pilots suddenly became female and, and we would have police officer and not just policemen and stuff like that. Um, but I imagine also for sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, household chores, uh, do you, do you have to be wary of like not making, making sure there's not so many she's or kind of being stereotypical on on that yeah i mean you you try not to be but at the same time you don't want to confuse people you know um in some in some cultures if you if you give things that are against their their norms then that's actually a little bit confusing so yeah it's a fine line we we try to to, to be as neutral as we can but to be universally helpful i guess is the the key thing oh here's another here's another quick question have you ever had to write do you in learner dictionaries do the bad words ever get in i remember because i remember when i was beginning teaching students handing out the dictionaries to students and they would automatically go and look up to see if the F word was in there or, or, or the S word or things like that. Do you, have you, have you had to write definitions for swear words? And if so, lots of them. Um, yeah. I mean, with, with learners dictionaries, um, it's always about frequency. So if you're writing a, a, you know, a very small intermediate learners dictionary, you'll have less in it than you would the advanced learners. Um, but yes, we do. And usually there's a very clear policy for how you deal with them. Um, the, the, the kind of really bad swear words, there's usually a, a very clear policy and you get, you don't get examples usually. Um, so it's, it's a very simple reduced form. Um, but I mean, what's actually more tricky sometimes or more interesting is the kind of mid-level words. Um, okay. You can, you can say them by the way, we'll just put it, we'll put it explicit on the, on the podcast. Go on. 
I mean, so I remember a meeting once with a group of um, lexicographers um, and we were working on a new dictionary and we'd all got together to discuss some of the issues. And um, we ended up speaking for about an hour about the word piss because it's actually quite a difficult word um, to pin down. Um, I, I, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you've got things like, you know, if I, as a British person, if I say somebody's pissed... Oh, wait, of course, yeah. And you got take take the piss, yeah. If they're pissed, they're angry. Well, yeah, for an American, pissed is angry. To a British person, that's pissed off. But then if I... So I can piss somebody off as a phrasal verb, but if I tell you to piss off, then I'm telling you to go away quite aggressively. Right. And also there's... Yeah, there's taking taking the piss and taking a piss, which are completely different as well, aren't they? Exactly. It's a really, really complex dictionary entry. And we all sat around, I'd say, for a, but the best part of an hour talking in very technical terms about how to define this word without really thinking about what it meant. <laughs> That's um, great. So, yeah, they can be fun. Yeah. Well, that was one of my one of my final questions is, you know, was trying to imagine a group of lexicographers on a night out chatting about work over beers and what would everybody be talking and laughing about? I suppose that would be one of the things. Or do, do lexicographers, when they're out together, just never talk about what words mean? Um, I guess we might. I mean, to be honest, it would probably more be the usual gossip and moaning about, you know, work and who's doing what and whatever. Um, there's probably more interesting um, chat and banter about words, I would say, on social media. Um, Twitter at the moment is full of lexicography chat. Um, oh, really? Is this to do with to do with alternative facts and kind of new words like that coming into the language, or or just? No, exactly that. Um, so the big American dictionary, Merriam-Webster, they're very active on Twitter, and they've been really getting involved in a lot of the political stuff in America at the moment, and it's very, very interesting to watch. So when the whole alternative facts idea came out, the very next day, the dictionary um, just tweeted their definition of fact. Oh, wow. So in this case, yeah, the work of lexicographers is getting political. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but quite funny as well. Um, it's, they're definitely worth following on Twitter. It's, it's, it's good fun. All right. What's her, what's her, what's her Twitter name? At Miriam Webster? Yeah. So at Miriam Webster, which is M-E-R-R-I-A-M and then Webster. So they're, they're worth following. They, they tweet words in the news. They tweet the words that people are looking up on their online dictionary, which is, says something about the current culture. Um, and yeah, so social media chat can be quite interesting. Excellent. A um, couple more final questions here. Do people, um, like the work of a lexicographer, is that still got a big future? For example, are people still buying paper dictionaries or is all of this stuff getting crowdsourced? Like is Wikipedia or Google, is that kind of stuff killing dictionaries and work of lexicographers or can it coexist comfortably? Um, I mean, sadly, the work of lexicographers has reduced hugely. Um, so when I started back in the 1990s, there were groups of in-house lexicographers, all the big publishers. Nowadays, particularly in terms of learners' dictionaries, there's probably one person in each department who's each publisher who just manages things with a few freelancers. Um, 
And as far as I know, there aren't really new lexicographers coming into the business anymore because there's so little work. And that's partly because, yeah, dictionaries just don't sell as much as they used to. Um, I mean, there's, there is still a market for the data that's produced by lexicographers. Um, so, you know, people who are producing software and they want a dictionary as part of it and they want valuable data. Um, but yeah, um, paper dictionaries, there, is, there are some people who still buy them, but increasingly fewer and fewer. Um, so most people now go online. All right. Well, then that brings me to my last question, which is also very interesting. We might have to have you come back because we also heard that you have uh, been exploring a new area of um, linguistics uh, and, and you're venturing from lexicography into another area. Can you tell us what it is and just briefly tell us about it? Yeah, um, I've recently started doing a, a master's course in forensic linguistics. Um, this sounds awesome. Okay, go for it. It's a really fascinating area and basically it's anything to do with language and the law. Um, so that can, that can be, it's kind of in, on two sides, really. It's the way language is used within the legal system. Um, so the way the police communicate, the way the courts communicate with people. So that's one half of it. And the other half of it is the kind of CSI side of things. So investigating crimes that involve language and using language analysis techniques to say, to see who wrote something or, or whatever. Um, so can you give me an example just of, of, of a CSI kind of thing? Like, is it like analyzing a note to see what age or where the person came from or things like that? Is that possible? Um, it's usually more where you have um, a, dis a disputed author. Um, so one person says that they wrote something and you can look at their other language to see whether they did or not. Um, so it's where you have a number of possible people who might have written something and you can analyze their language to get, well, forensic linguists would kill me for this, but to get like a, a language fingerprint from them and oh, then okay. to match it to a text that, that you have already got to see, did the same people write these two texts? Wow. Fantastic. Well, Julie, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for sharing all this information about dictionaries and best of luck in uh, forensic linguistics. Thank you very much, Lindsay. Producer James here with a quick message to say thank you for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to show your support for the show, then you can help us in just a minute and it won't cost you a thing. Think of a friend or colleague you know, someone who you think would enjoy listening to the program and send them an email or a message to let them know about us. With your help, we can reach even more teachers. Okay, on with the show. So there you have it. Feel a bit more informed about dictionaries. I do. It's a good interview. I mean, yeah, I know Jill said something that uh, we, we, she's 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 passionate about words. It's uh, amazing uh, to do it. And you 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 uh, you name checked her there, and, and and I like the fact that even her Twitter handle, Lexicon Jules, is is uh, she's she's just all about the words. Interesting. Do you do, uh, I, do you have a favorite word? Is that something that you, you do? Have? I have a favorite word? No, I don't actually. Do ask, I, I, I'm, I'm sure there are. I have. You know what? I have asked students. To do it and i've written this into materials and and online lessons and stuff like what your favorite word is i think the british council did a really interesting like favorite words in english um competition across their websites a few years ago and one of the top words was things like mother but i always liked words like 
butterfly or uh, I don't know, you know, the sort of I don't know that that word I quite liked, but yeah, I'm um, just thinking of that British council list. There's the words like serendipity and stuff were in it as well. Yeah, that's a nice word yeah. as well. But I don't have a single favorite word. I probably would more so in other languages. I think it's when you're learning a new language, you suddenly catch onto a word and you think that sounds so cool and just so nice to say. I guess in English as well. What about you? Um, yeah, no, I probably it changes from time to uh, time, and I, I think it depends on kind of what focus I'm in at the moment. If I'm writing about words, then to kind of words do attach attach to me. I, I'd probably use, I mean, I, I think quagmire is just kind of in me now. So it's the word that I that, that I like to say. And it's kind of kind of like to throw out because it's difficult to spell. And as I say, it's my dictionary word. But I, I like words for their sound as well. One of my friends always says the Welsh word kutch for for a hug, I, I which Kerry, one of our presenters would like. I quite like that. I like the sound of words. Uh, uh, with it, but I think it's a nice exercise to do with with students, just to uh, attaches a kind of personal meaning to uh, to all the words that we bring up uh, with them. So dictionaries, um, decision help help helpful or harmful? Do you do you, do you do overt dictionary lessons in class? You know, this brings up another point that we made in our notes as well, is what used to be the bane of teachers' existence, especially if you taught, well, in Canada it was, and I know in, in the UK when I was teaching multi multilingual classes, um, all the students, especially from Japan or China, who had their little uh, electronic dictionary translators. Did <laughs> yeah. you, did you oh, suffer yeah, through yeah, those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't see them so much anymore. I guess they've been replaced it, by mobile technology these days, I'm going to guess, but... I don't know. Yeah, they had these. Little, yeah. They look like little pencil cases. But when so they opened up- I would certainly have said in my younger days as a teacher in Canada, when I was teaching uh, visitors to Canada or people at uh, in private language schools there, that. Uh, dictionaries were an enemy you know they were they were because uh, they were just always so distracted like every single time they were always looking up every word and i'd always be sort of trying to say guys let's just come back here we can do this later we can do this later so definitely harmful although then later on in my teaching when i'd be teaching in monolingual environments i would be asking the students you know tr- doing dictionary classes trying to train them to use dictionaries and stuff like that um but uh, yeah, I don't, so, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know what you mean about the. the I always, I, I always found. I think I found the electronic dictionary is more of a, dis, a distraction, hence the harmful. But the fact that students looking at words it was the same with the little white nightmare that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. You know, as soon as. Um, you're trying to do a reading lesson or something and the students are like, sat there like thumbing through the dictionary for the words and you're trying to say look no, we're just skimming or we're just scanning can we just uh can we go go through them um but um you know some people would say they were the dictionaries are harmful full stop because um students just look up the word and they don't really learn it you know they don't retain it they just kind of look it up and go oh that's what it means and then and then continue with it um so you know, there is an argument, in, and I'll put a few of the websites up there, that dictionaries are harmful to students from that end. Not what I agree with, I, I must admit. But um, there are some- I think the other thing, though, is I remember there also was a certain kind of activity or a certain kind of class you could do where you would go and grab, depending on the school. At the university I worked at, we had a class set of dictionaries. So you'd go grab a class set of monolingual dictionaries and then do activities based on it. And I don't know if that's happening so much in classrooms. No. I certainly haven't done it because recently because – 
there are no longer class sets of dictionaries. That's very true. And that's yeah. a shame. I used to uh, love the class. And I think, I mean, there's often, in teacher training courses, they talk about uh, taking the taking the teachers towards, uh, the students towards learner independence or autonomy. And, they, they, you know, the dictionary lesson was part of that, in a sense, because you were teaching them skills that they could use outside the classroom. Um, and it's a shame if those things are done. And I, I mean, it was really, going back to my, my check experience, it's quite revealing. You asked... Um, take the word church in English, ask the students to look it up, and they'll be looking up towards the end of the dictionary because CH is a separate letter in Czech. So, you know, it, it's really important to to actually still remind people of these things where, you know, for us, CH, you look up under, under, under C. So it would be a shame if class sets... I, th I mean, I think you'd presume that students have access to some sort of student... Uh, uh, sorry, dictionary on their device. So, so I don't think there's any real excuse not to do um, dictionary lessons. And I'm, I'm putting the inverted commas around, around that as I speak um, these days, but we just don't have the same class sets, I guess. But, but Yeah, and the fact that a, an online or an app dictionary means you can't do the same some of the same kinds of activities that you could do with the paper version. We're probably coming almost to an end, and I wanted to finish my bit and ask if you had a bit afterwards of, of a favorite activity when you used to do your dictionary class. Do you have one? Um, that's, I used to do, I used to have uh, quite a lot. Um, I, I like, I like really surreal things where people bounce off letters. So they open up, they open up the, the dictionary at random, find a word and then write that down and close it and find it. But I'll tell you what, I'll make it, I'll make it the end of pod activity uh, to, to explain. Would you, but presumably you're asking that because you have one. <laughs> yes, exactly, because I, I was more prepared for this question. Um, so I'm going to finish with this, and then we'll hear your activity in the end of pod activity. One of my activities that I started recently um, doing was uh, is you you only need one dictionary for this. So basically, this is with intermediate or higher, you open the dictionary to a page, any page, and uh, you take your left-hand side, the top word of the left-hand side. So I'm going to do this with a dictionary right now, actually. I'm going to do it with the Macmillan Essential Dictionary. Okay, So I've just opened to a random page, and I take the first word at the top of the left-hand side, yeah, which is drop, D-R-O-P. Okay. And then I take the last word on the, le on, on the right-hand page, which is dull, D-U-L-L. -L. And I get students to write um, drop and then dull. I and then I, I keep my finger on that page but close the dictionary and I say you have three minutes to write as many words as you think come between drop oh and that's a dull. really good activity I like that yeah and it would have to be sort of like A2 students can't really do it but but B1, B2 or C1 students um, it's really really good and then and then of course you uh, go through the go through the words on the page and, and compare with what they've got Great activity, huh? Nice. Your activity, it remind, not the activity reminds me of, but I just remembered that one of the books I do have behind me is a resource book called Dictionaries. And there are, um, it was one of those uh, OUP resource book series, I think by uh, John Wright. And it's got lots of activities for dictionaries in, which was one of my favorite resource books when I use dictionaries more often in class. So, um, so I'll put a link to that. It's a nice, interesting. A little one. shout out for that. Yeah. And uh, just before I finish, I wanted that activity. I suddenly remembered who I learned it from, which was a colleague of ours who should probably come on the podcast one day. Is Kath Billsborough? Oh, I think okay. she yeah, taught yeah. me that activity. Great activity. But, anyway, Sean, huh. I think we pretty much covered. Uh, well briefly at least uh dictionaries what do you think yeah i think we've uh, we've given it a good uh, go uh, <laughs> for it there'll be lots to lots to uh, go back to with the links and things like and activities to add to the end but i enjoyed that i was always always enjoy these you, you pick a topic and you end up nattering about it and you realize how much it's enjoyable just to talk about the topic <laughs>
Indeed. Indeed. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us. Uh, this has been an episode of the Tuffle Commute. You can find out more about us and find uh, other episodes. We're in season five, so there are four seasons of back episodes that you can find via our website at www.tufflecommute.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I've been Lindsay Kleinfield. And I still am Sean Wilden. Thank you for listening. See you next time. As your commute is coming to an end, here's an idea for you to try out in class. Towards the end of the episode, Sean mentioned the resource book Dictionaries. One of his favourite dictionary activities is based on one from Matt. Before class, choose about 10 words. These could be words previously taught in class, 10 words you're going to teach today, 10 words from a reading text you're going to use in class, you get the idea. In the lesson, You'll need either a class set of dictionaries or be able to let your students access an online dictionary. At the start of the lesson, ask your students to take a piece of paper and on it make two columns. Column one should be called 100% sure and column two called not sure. Tell them you're going to say some words and the students have to decide if they know the word or not. They must try and write the word in one of the columns. No means that they can spell it and know what it means. If they're 100% confident they do, then they write it in column 1. If they're not, they write it in column 2. Go through all the words on your list. Once the students have written them down, ask them to compare with each other, helping each other decide the correct spelling and meaning and referring to the dictionary when they need to. Finish the activity by checking the words and meanings together. You can find the instructions for these activities at our website, www.tefelcommute.com. You've been listening to The Tefl Commute, an original podcast produced and presented by Lindsay Clanfield, Sean Wilden and James Taylor. Don't miss out on any episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes and by visiting us at www.tefelcommute.com. Now, Yakko Warner sings all of the words in the English language. Aardvark abating, a pet abdicating, abandon, a base and a breast. A blaze and ablution, abhor and abusion, abbreviate, abbey obsessed. Welcome back. Yakko's now at the L's as he tries to sing all the words in the English language. Libation and libertine, limited, limousine, limpid and limbo and lime. Lima and lipid and literature, liquid and listing and liter and lime. Zeppelin and zipper and zephyr and zither, then zinc and zombini and zoo and zucchini and zulu and zorro, then zit and zamoro and zero and zoom and zaire.